someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short chew. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan. And with me, recording in Fukuoka, is my co host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and Stephen actually has a really special relationship with this particular distillery. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades, and we're very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Christopher. This、uh, topic today really reflects so much of my discovery of shochu as a category.、Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about,、uh, about this and, and hear your thoughts as well. You and I have talked about this distillery many times. We've both visited many times. Yeah. But we haven't really talked much about them recently. So good to put our heads together a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this because I guess this is our second. Shochu distillery profile. We still haven't done one about Awamori. I promise that's coming soon. But today we're going to talk and we're going to dig and we're going to, in some cases, reminisce about Sanwa Shurui, which is best known for their Ichiko Shochu brand. Ichiko was actually released in 1979 and it quickly became the best selling Honkaku Shochu in Japan. But it wasn't overnight success. It did take them. A good deal of time to get there, did it not? That's right. We talked、uh, in our last episode about soba shochu and how what's now Unkai was in business for six years before they stumbled upon the Unkai brand, the vacuum distilled soba shochu, and, and made themselves an absolute fortune. For Sanwa Shuri, it took a little longer, and they actually started as several different companies. But in 1958, several Shochu and, and sake makers from Oita Prefecture decided to merge. And it started 1958 with three families. They merged into Sanwa Shurui. So Sanwa actually refers to three. But a fourth family joined shortly thereafter. They didn't change the name, but there are four families who now co own and operate Sanwa Shurui. But it took them over 20 years of shochu making together to hit what would become an iconic brand、uh, in Japan and what is today, I believe, the best-selling shochu overseas. And two key innovations led to this brand's breakout success. Yes. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably can already guess what one of them is. The first was vacuum distillation, which had begun in 1974 In Fukuoka, which neighbors Oita to the west, if, of course, the propaganda that we've been told is to be believed. And the vacuum still was actually adopted by Nikaido Distillery, another Oita Mugi shochu maker. They make 100% barley shochu. And they actually learned how to make this style of shochu from Yanagita Distillery in Miyakonojo City, Miyazaki. So there's a pretty circuitous. Path to getting back and, and establishing Oita Mugi Shochu, and it involves several different players. That's right. And Nikaido's vacuum distillation of barley really put them on the map. They became a really, really big, almost overnight success. And then Sanwa Shurui blatantly borrowed this recipe for success. They took what Nikaido had made 
as a breakout brand a couple years earlier. And then they truly made it their own by including not only the vacuum distillation, but what I think can properly be considered their own DNA. And that's blending. Because it was several families working together, they began blending their different barley distillates to create the Ichiko brand. And it was, as far as we know, the first consciously blended product in Honkaku Shochu production. Well, yes. And if it wasn't the first, then it was definitely the most successful. I mean, Ichiko quickly passed Nikaido as the best-selling Honkaku Shochu in Japan. And they have never had reason to look back over their shoulder, at least in their home prefecture. And it may no longer be the most popular brand in Japan, but it is still the best-selling barley shochu by a pretty decent margin. So these two brands led to what has become what is now known as the first, and I'm making air quotes here, shochu boom. And this was when Honkak shochu really broke out of Kyushu and became a little bit more of a national beverage than the blue collar drink that it had long been in Kyushu. And it really started to make waves up in the major metropolitan areas. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing to think that a spirits tradition with over 500 years of history only became a national drink in Japan in the past 50 years. Right. I mean, I've been alive longer than shochu's been in been a national phenomenon in Japan. That's kind of crazy to think about. I've got underwear older than shochu's popularity. I do not need to know that, Christopher. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of course, even today, it's hard to find shochu in some parts of Japan, especially Kyoto and some of the more northern parts of Honshu, where it's really sake dominated. And then, of course, whiskey and beer. That's that's certainly fair. Uh, There are a couple of great izakaya in Kyoto that have very well curated lists, but there are a couple of pockets of Japan, Kyoto being a major one, where they are very much a Nihonshu zone. And there are certainly places, just like down in Kagoshima, where you struggle to find Nihonshu on most menus. There are certainly a couple of places in Japan where you will struggle to find shochu. But I would argue that the zones where there are is no Nihonshu on the menu is far larger than the zones where there is absolutely no shochu or awamori on on the menu. That's interesting. I, I think I would have a different perspective than that, but you may be right. You've certainly lived here longer than I have. I think it comes down to f- refrigeration, honestly, and the cost of moving the products uh, across the country. <laughs> that so actually, that, no, I think it's economics partly. I think that's fair. I think when you're talking about premium sake. It might be hard to find the things that need to be refrigerated and and that would lose their beauty if they weren't properly cared for, where that's not the case with these distilled spirits. That's fair. True. So, how did Samwa Shurui manage this transition from four families merging their powers together to what has now become an international brand? When you meet a successful shochu maker, you, you know that they're successful. Um, yeah. They're, Sake is they're the proud, same way. Sure, they're proud of what they've done and, and for good reason, right? Their accomplishments speak for themselves. But these four families voluntarily decided to give up complete control of their own companies 
And until very recently, the president's chair would actually be occupied by a different family every few years. So it was a rotating control of the company. And they all did this voluntarily. And it helped because it meant all of them felt continued ownership of the company. Mm. And they could all put their own unique stamp on the company in turn and move it toward the future. And to me, that's a really novel concept. It's hard for me to imagine an American merger in which one of the principles doesn't get pushed out or sidelined, right? But I think probably the two biggest decisions that have been made since Ichigo became a breakout brand was building out the scale of production. One being their main campus. And I have to call it a campus because it looks like a university when you drive up to it. It is gigantic. Yeah. It really does. Yep. And that's their main facility in USA. Oita, they love to say USA because that's how it's spelled. That's their little inside joke. And their other is they they acquired a Nika fruit juice factory in Hita, Oita. And those two large facilities have built out the production capacity that carries them along today. They are they are campuses. I think that's the best way to put it. Multiple buildings strewn across a hill or or within the the forest and they are impeccable. They are, and I think this is pretty common for large scale breweries and distilleries. They are spotless and very, very carefully managed. They're so clean. So clean. Yep. Yeah. And the Nika facility that they took over in particular is a lovely tourist destination. It's a beautiful place. It's not too far from Hita, which is a magnet for tourism. And They've got a great tasting area, commercial space. It's just, it's nice. So they've done a great job with it. Yeah, no question. The, the building, with, uh, at least the, the original buildings that they took over from Nika still had, in the architectural design, they had the Nika persona. And so in the windows, which almost look like stained glass windows in churches, right? they have a sheaf of barley because Nika is a whiskey maker. And it just so happens Oita Shochu is barley shochu and Ichigo is the biggest producer. So, they didn't have to change the window dressings. Right. But it was a fruit juice factory. So, they didn't have pot stills or that sort of thing. They just had the the places where they were uh, producing the juice. And so, they put in these gorgeous pot stills, really, really striking uh, large stills uh, to do their, do their spirits runs. I guess what really impresses me about the company is they don't feel like a big company. They've got a huge cafeteria for the employees in the USA distillery. And yet, Mm -hmm. as the president walks around, he will know everyone and he'll ask them about their children and their hobbies and, you know, what they did over the weekend and that sort of thing. So, it's very personal. It really feels almost like a family. Mm. And I think that level of humility in the leadership is really impressive. Yeah. And you notice it all the way up and down the corporate hierarchy. Their folks in the States are awesome as well. They're just nice folks. And they want you to enjoy yourself. You know, they want you to, of course, enjoy their products. But more importantly, they want you to enjoy shochu. And that was something that I noticed very early on with them. And I really appreciated about them. They, they are super successful. They know it. But they don't care if you're drinking something else. They just care that you are having fun and shochu is involved. And I was very impressed by that early on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They really embody the concept that a rising tide lifts all ships, right? They know that if you're enjoying shochu, you will enjoy theirs as well, and you will tell people about it. Mm -hmm. So, for them, 
they are completely fine to be hanging out with you and you're drinking sweet potato or you're drinking rice or awamori uh, as long as you are enjoying yourself and continuing to, you know, tell your friends about this wonderful spirits category. Yeah, absolutely. And it, while I'm just thinking about walking through the halls of these places and of course, part of their success, which they display everywhere, they, they have these things, all of the history, the marketing, everything is on the walls. Part of their success has always been in their branding, their packaging. And I don't use this term lightly. I think we can say it's iconic and it is striking. It's memorable. Their premium products, which are, you know, often alter alternative blends of their more than, I guess it's, it's dozens of base distillates, sometimes at higher proof, often at higher proof, honestly, come in these very elegant, you might even say sexy bottles that are custom made. And for the Frasco brand, for instance, it comes in these paper thin flasks which have this big bell at the bottom and a very elegant neck to them. Bartenders probably hate them, but they are absolutely striking on any surface, whether it's your home bar or it's the back bar. Yeah, some of their glass is some of my favorite glass in spirits. And and the Frasco brand, it, it is beautiful. I've talked to bartenders, they do hate it. <laughs> but it is a it's beautiful packaging. But they have some other bottles that are just as magnificent uh, and probably easier for bartenders to to play around with. But uh, part of that branding is not just the packaging, it's also how they present themselves. You've been in Japan longer than me, but even in the time that I've been coming here and now living here, I watch other major distilleries come out with new marketing campaigns every quarter, every year, every couple of years. Oh, for sure. They're constantly changing how they're trying to sell their products. And the posters change on on the Shinkansen or in train stations, and Ichigo never changes. They've been using the same ad campaign for Ichigo since they launched the brand in 1979. And it's this series of posters that appear every month. There's a new photograph with Ichigo branding. There is a bottle of Ichigo somewhere in the photograph. It's a little bit of Where's Waldo for Spirits because... They hide it sometimes. It'll be a lush green field, and somewhere in that field, there's a green and yellow Ichigo bottle. Or it's a it's a babbling river, and on one of the rocks in the center, there's a there's a bottle of Ichigo perched there, and it's it's not the focus. It's just part of nature. Yep, it shows they do both rural landscapes, you know, nature, that sort of thing, rural agricultural venues. They do urban settings, and it really encapsulates how. Ichiko is part of life, mm -hmm. right? It, it, it fits in anywhere. And that is such brilliant branding to me. Mm. It's not for a specific occasion. It's for any time, anywhere. Yeah. And that, that's been reinforced for what, 1979? That's... Decades. 44 years? Yep. That's some longevity right there to have the same ad campaign and never vary for 44 years. That's impressive. 44 years. I have underwear older than that. <laughs> Would you stop? <laughs> but it's not just the branding. Their products are really good. I'm always impressed with how some of these large suppliers, it's not all of them, but some of these large suppliers can produce consistent, very high quality Honkaku Shoju at a scale 
that smaller producers could never even imagine, honestly. Of course, there's plenty of technology in play during the production process. There's computer-monitored temperature control. There's you know, the, the agitation systems for stirring the moromi, the mash, are automated, and they're large. And, of course, the distillery floor is immaculate. You know, in fact, when you go in and visit them, just as testament to the cleanliness, you have to wear booties on your shoes. You have to wear these white coats that are like lab jackets. You got to put a, a mesh, almost shower cap over your head, and everybody does it. All of these advanced measures are needed to maintain that consistency, that quality, because ultimately these distilleries are still managing the activities of very active living organisms in the form of koji and yeast. Given the size of these fermentations, and these vats are large, let me tell you, you would not want to fall into one because you are not getting out. Losing a batch or worse than that, infecting an entire fermentation floor with something from outside would be a very expensive mistake, to put it lightly. Yeah, these are multi-story fermentation tanks. It's just at a scale that's hard to imagine for smaller, like handmade shochu makers. Of course, their quality control measures and scalable technologies and the, you know, the, the cleanliness and everything is really a big part of why they do everything so well and why they can produce such a beautiful and consistent product. But they also provide absolutely incredible staff training. Their professional development of their employees is, is, I think, second to none. True. Maybe even in beverage alcohol, honestly. Just to get the job of driving a forklift or delivering the mail, you have to pass a minimum shochu knowledge test just to, get the, to be eligible to get the job. Mm-hmm. And not to brag too much, but I think you and I both have passed that basic test. So, we could, you know, if, if this podcast falls through, it doesn't work out, we might have jobs in Oita. We do have a plan B. I imagine that they would take us on just for the pure hilarity of it. Um, I have (laughs) driven a forklift before, so I probably could, you know, figure that out once again. I've delivered intra-office mail. Yeah. And you know what I did too? I worked in the mailroom in college, so we're (laughs) shooing for a job there if, if, if Japan still does work out. There we go. But, you know, that is just step one. If an employee passes the level two exam, then they are eligible to join the quality control team, which I I love the sound of that. That just means you get to drink. (laughs) True. (laughs) The takeaway here is that every single day that a product is bottled, there is a team of Sanwa Shurui employees that go to a lab where they smell, they taste the product that has been prepared for bottling against a reference control of what that product is supposed to taste and smell like. And if the quality control team determines that the blend is not up to their exacting standards, the batch will be re-blended before bottling to assure that, of course, the most important people, their customers, are never disappointed with the quality of an Ichiko product. This level of attention to detail, I think, is absolutely marvelous. And I've been in the, in the quality control room when this is going on. And they let me kind of nose around and and uh, try it for myself, and they notice really really subtle differences in the spirit. I'm sure, and you know it has to be has to be scored a certain way to go in the you know for them to proceed to bottling. Uh, so these people these people take their jobs very seriously, and they end up doing a great job. And again, not not to brag, but I, I passed the level two test. How about you, Christopher? Uh, no, I I have it has never been offered to me and. 
I think part of the problem is that three of the five times, I think I've been to one or more of their campuses on five occasions, at least. I don't know why this, why does it always happen this way? It's always during hay fever season. And Boita <laughs> has so much freaking cedar, uh, sugi trees everywhere. It, it, the, the, the hills are taunting me and I just am useless. Like, at that time. I don't know what it is. Ichiko tends to invite me in like March. <laughs> I, I, if, they, if they listen to this, if anybody from Samoa Surui is listening to this, please invite me in late summer or something like that. And then maybe I can, you know, I'll happily come and fail your sensory exam level two. I think, I think you do all right on it. It is a tough test. It's one of the hardest, uh, spirits evaluation test I've ever taken, uh, but I did pass. You know, now that I think about it, I wonder, because this was before I moved to Japan, I was writing my book and I was just visiting distilleries often and they had me there to visit several times. And I'm wondering if they weren't actually recruit, recruiting me and in a very Japanese way, they, they're slow, slow rolling it, that uh, the job offer is coming after my fifth visit or something like that. They've got a mail cart ready for you, buddy. <laughs> there we go. Now, of course, that's only level two of the professional development for their employees. Those who pass the level three exam actually are eligible to become part of the blending team. And these are the folks who are responsible for blending the existing products, each batch that they're preparing for bottling. It's the blenders that do that work. And they also get to develop new products. And that would be, to me, the most fun, right? To be able to come up with a new Ichiko line yeah. of products. It has, you know, your, your signature on it, your sense of taste uh, in the bottle would be very cool. And of course, these are the most prestigious roles within the company. And just a handful of their nearly 300 employees, I think, have managed to achieve this level. I think their, their blending team might be, at least last time I visited, I think it was five or six people, maybe a few more who are now in management who don't actually participate actively, but it's a pretty, pretty elite group. And they've got, in addition to this crew, and I know they overlap a little bit, but they've got like proper lab with proper scientists just doing all manner of research related to shochu yeast and publishing legit peer-reviewed scholastic journal articles about the science of shochu. And so they're, they are, they're contributing to the future of shochu, I feel, internationally by contributing on so many different levels. And they do go out there and they woo. They go and they, they roll out the red carpet for you sometimes because they know that you care about shochu and they just want you to experience how they've done it. I have never once felt pressure to say anything in their favor, to write anything about them. But they know that if they make sure that you're just enjoying yourself, that they're going to be a part of that conversation moving forward. And I think that's great soft diplomacy. I think that's really a brilliant way to do it. I know for a fact, as you know, we're, we're two of the closest friends that have ever like graced this planet. I have never heard you say even slightly non-positive thing about them. And I'm sure you would say the same thing about me. Oh, absolutely. It's just, you get such a good feeling from that crew of people. I do really respect what they've built there. And it's not easy. You got a team of 300 people. That's a huge organization, honestly. That was well, not, it's not like it's an enterprise though. It's a lot of people. And to instill that culture in across that many people is no mean feat. And I would say that most companies fail at it. No question. No. And you're right. I've never heard you say uh, an ill word about 
uh, Samoa Shirui. And it really, for both of us, it's because of how they run the business and, and the mindset, the, the culture of the, of the company is just, it's astoundingly impressive. And you and I have, have been interacting with them through multiple presidents. The president rotates every three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, just as an example of of their their kindness, their generosity, I sent a copy of my book when it was published to the to the president of Ichiko at the time because they had been very supportive of 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 my my book process. They opened up their distillery to places they never would let tourists go. They opened up their winery, Ajimu Wine in Oita. They opened up their sake brewery, which is on the USA campus. Really just, you know, the royal treatment, the red carpet, as you mentioned before. And I just, I was very grateful for all that they did to help me with my research for the different styles of Japanese alcohol. And so, I sent a copy of the book to the president at the time, and he remembered which of his brands was my favorite, and he sent me a case. Ah, <laughs> so next level. Exactly. I feel like with a lot of other distillers, they might remember what brand I liked, mm-hmm. or at least that there was a brand that I did like. They wouldn't remember which one of their, what Ichiko must have 50 different products. Yeah. And he remembered that I liked that specific product best. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just that level of attention and, and caring that I think is, it just sets them apart from so many other distilleries in Japan and outside of Japan. So, yeah. Oh, I, I just, just remembered there's one other thing that I, uh, it's, it's kind of tangential to what I was talking about before, but I, before I forget, they have one other kind of, what's the way to put it? A way, a level of recognition of an employee's skills. We've talked about a couple of different ways that they involve people in the process of developing and ensuring the quality of products, but they also will pay for continuing education. And in fact, their current president who actually, I believe this is correct. He's the first non-family member to run the distillery in decades. Yeah, I think since the merger. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, and he earned a PhD in fermentation science while working as staff for Sanwa Shirui. Today, he's running the company. That's freaking cool. They definitely want to keep their people, they want to keep their people happy, and they want to keep their people moving forward. I think that's exceptional. It really is. And, you know, it's a credit to him that he earned the trust of the family over his decades of service to the company. But he also demonstrated that he was so capable that they would actually entrust him to run their business. I don't know how long his term is. We haven't checked up on him. You know, maybe his term's already run out and somebody else is running it. Now it's gone back to the families, but uh, I guess we can look into that. But yeah, he's a delightful guy, very, very smart, knows the ins and outs of barley shochu production and many other things. So, Oh, yes. You mentioned at the top of the show that I had a special relationship with them. And obviously, I think everything we've discussed, it's obviously we're, we're big fans of this company, but mine starts at the very beginning. Of course, I have huge respect for them and I do love their products. I always have each go of some variety at home. Uh, and when I want something light and refreshing, uh, I'm going to reach for it. I guess we haven't talked that much about their blending, but they tend to blend everything they sell. Uh, and it's just what expression they want to get from those blends. Mm-hmm. And they do use a lot of vacuum. They use some atmospheric, they use some barrel aged and, you know, different yeast strains, different koji types. And then they just blend in these beautiful products. They're kind of the Johnny Walker of shochu. That's how I like to describe them. Yeah. Right. Just master blenders who do an incredible job every single time. My special relationship, I said it started at the beginning. 
Ichiko was the first shochu I ever tried. So it's their fault that I've gone down this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they're being so nice to you. They're trying to, they're just like, sorry. <laughs> like, I mean, our bad. It's not too much to say that Ichiko changed my life. Yeah, that's a lot. Wow. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. Ichiko changed it. You just wrote some new copy for them, man. <laughs> I wonder if I'll get on a poster. They'll have me sitting in a, in a field of barley with a, with a glass of Ichiko. That's what it's going to become. They're going to remove the bottle. They're going to put you out on that rock in the middle of a babbling stream. And, and like, ah, oh, he fell in again. Hold on. We, we can't shoot the photo until he dries off. Uh, yeah, that's cool that it's from the start. I do remember that my first exposure to Honkaku Shochu did involve a barley. I have a very vague memory. I spoke. I spoke zero Japanese at that point and I couldn't tell what I didn't know which way, way was up. It was in my first three months in the country, honestly. Hmm. And so I, and I'm not actually going to go out on a limb and say who it was, but I suspect they were probably one of the first shochu I ever had as well. And it is, you know, it's fitting. It's everywhere. You know, Ichiko is like I said before, along with maybe one other brand in, in the country, they're just the, the shochu that if they're going to have a shochu, if they're going to have a shochu, one shochu, it's probably going to be Ichiko. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming to Japan anytime soon, you will be able to find it. It's just that omnipresent. It's almost, almost as easy to find as Ebisu beer, as Wilkinson sparkling water. It's really kind of just everywhere so hats off to them they've done an incredible job and they work very very hard to spread the good word overseas and Stephen and i will always give them mad props for their efforts there no question and fortunately for me first time i had shochu was in new york and so it was their export bottle which you can find in some convenience stores in japan it's a squat little guy yeah, little guy. And it says Ichiko in, in English right on the front. Like it's, it's the Romaji. Uh -huh. So it was much easier for me to remember my first brand than you if you couldn't read any kanji at the time. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. And the guy who was pouring for me was kind of punking me simultaneously in a friendly manner. He was just messing with me because he didn't have any other customers or, you know, I think it was raining that day. We're kind of past due for our origin stories. Maybe those can be a couple of episodes coming up. Like, how did you get into Shochu? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we should. We absolutely should. I, I know that we were going to do that at the start, but we had too many other ideas that kind of crowded them out. Yeah, we kind of had to get through all of the basics, right? The first couple seasons really were just jam packed with laying the foundation. And now we can do dives into distilleries and and others, more arcane topics, I think. Um, but yeah, that, that would be a good, good thing for us to do down the road, hopefully before too much long. You, you uh, sipping on you, anything? Oh, of course. Before you answer, can I guess what distillery it's from? <laughs> um, <laughs> actually I, I don't know if it's from Ita or from Usa so I, I, I have a 50-50 shot you know what I am not entirely sure myself actually now that you say that I don't know exactly where this one is bottled but I am sipping I just cracked the bottle of it is called Ichiko Blue Ah, and it's a long U because they actually put a macro run it's B-L-U with a macro on no E but the bottle is straight blue. It's like super blue. It's like almost a hexagon of it. or something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's yep. got, it's, it is a hexagon. That's right. Actually available in Hawaii. 
It is, yes. Yep, yep. And it's a 30% ABV blend. And it's it's actually, it's really nice. I'm, I am a fan. And I, until today, had never tried it before. I don't think, because actually, and I've been to Hawaii several times, I don't think I've ever actually seen it. Okay. So this was nice. Found it at the back of the of the shelf. And I was like, oh, I'm going to crack that today. How about you? I, of course, am also sipping on an Ichigo product. I think I probably have six to seven Ichigo expressions in my apartment. And the only one that I could figure out where it is <laughs> in the short notice was uh, Saiten. Oh, okay. So this is their 43%, 100% barley uh, that was designed for cocktails. And it's a little bit of a curveball for Ichigo. Totally different, yeah. If you drink Frasco, Kurobin, Blue, their main brands, Tahita Zen Koji, all of the things that I know and love about them have a very, very bright, clean, vacuum distillate forward blend. Mm -hmm. Even their special, which is a, a heavy barrel blend, has a lot of vacuum distillate in it. So they tend to just be bright, fruity, clean drinking spirits, which makes them so popular. And Saiten is the curveball. It is grain forward. Now, I hadn't had it in a while. This bottle was tucked in the back of my of my bar. And so I dug it out for, for recording. And it's my first time tasting it in a while. I'm having it over ice on the rocks. Not, not a big ball, but you know, something that would melt a little more. And as the ice melts, it becomes sweeter and less grain forward. And I think now I understand why this was the profile. Because when you're making cocktails, and this is designed for cocktails, dilution is what's important, right? It's not what the spirit tastes like undiluted it's what the spirit tastes like diluted yeah fair and ichiko saiten improves with dilution so again master blenders they knew what they were doing i shouldn't have have questioned them when i tasted it straight the first time and i was like wait that's a big mouthful of cereal so i gotta say i i uh, my initial impressions of the brand are are evolving just as we're having this conversation that's good to hear okay yeah i need to go back to it as well so, Ichiko, well, Sanwa Shurui, Ichiko, everybody refers to them as Ichiko. Actually, if you say Sanwa Shurui, even in Japan, most people would be like, what? Yeah, if it's outside of the industry, I don't think regular run-of-the-mill Japanese have any idea what the name of Ichiko is. Yeah, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. So, very cool. I'm glad we did this. I think this was good. They deserve all the love that they get and more. Yeah. I'm glad that we're adding to the mountain of love. No question. Um, thank you, Ichiko. Thank you, Sanwa Surui. And look forward to seeing what you guys do in the future and, and let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Absolutely. You know, we hadn't talked about them in a while, but I don't know if you noticed earlier, I actually got a little bit emotional. Um, they really have been such an important part of my journey. And I'm glad that we could do this and, and, and give them the credit that they so richly deserve. I know I've told many of these stories dozens, if not hundreds of times on, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation or in small group discussions with, with, uh, drinkers around the, around the country, around the world. But it's my first time to be able to sort of lay it all out into a cohesive conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. I guess it's reassuring for me. I know you and I both are purists or orthodox in the sense that we just, we love the craftsmanship, right? The smaller the distillery, as long as what they're making is good, the better. That's what we want that's what we gravitate toward. That's what we seek out. Mm -hmm. Right. I think if you, 
if you took all of the bottles of shochu and awamori in my apartment and you categorize them by size of the producer, the size of the distillery, virtually all of it would be from the, the lowest tier, right? The, the, the lowest volume tier. Yeah. And then more from the, I don't know what these tiers are. I'm kind of just talking because Saiten is 43% alcohol, but I think very little of it would come from that upper tier. Fair. I don't think I have anything from Unkai, which is number three. Sanwa Shurui is number two, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I have anything from Kirishima, which is number one. I don't seek out products from those distilleries. And it's not because they don't make good things, but it's because it's everywhere, mm-hmm. right? I can always have that. So, I'd rather try something that I can't get everywhere, right? Right. And Ichiko is that exception. When I'm in that izakaya that has a limited shochu menu and it's barley, rice, and sweet potato, maybe kokuto sugar and soba, you're almost always going to be talking about Kirishima, Hakutakishiro, Ichiko, Unkai, and then the kokuto sugar. There's a, a few big brands there, right? But it's going to be... Lento, right? Lento. In that context, I'm virtually always going to Ichiko. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Subconsciously, it might be the loyalty. It might be the nostalgia of this being the first brand I ever tried. But I also love their blending. Yeah. I just think blending is is really underutilized in the industry. And I and I think it's also, in addition to that, it is their attention to everything makes you feel like it's a small distillery that somehow successive, successfully scaled, but kept its soul. You know what I mean? That's a great point. It's kind of like that. Yeah. And that's why we gravitate to it partly, I think. They just... It's the, it's the feel and the care and the attention to detail of the little folks that we love, but just on a huge scale. Yeah. And th- that's a great point. I, d- I hadn't really put it in those terms. And now we haven't had the kind of access to other distilleries, the large distilleries that we do to them, but that might be part of why. Because they still have that DNA of a small distillery, they're willing to open up to the couple of crazy foreigners who love the category right? Mm-hmm. You don't have the bean counters and the suits making all the decisions now. I would be willing to bet at a couple of those other large companies, the folks at the top do not know anything about us. And not, not that I'm saying that they should know us, but Ichiko does. Yeah, that's fair. That's how you build brand loyalty, right? We're going to gravitate to Ichigo because they show, they've shown us that they care about what they make and they've, they've given us a personal touch, mm-hmm. right? And I've met so many bartenders or liquor store owners in the U.S. especially who they're loyal to some large brand from Europe or the U.S. because they've received that touch right? from whether it's Johnny Walker or it's, you know, McAllen or, you know, one of the large uh, Mezcal makers or something like that. But they have that personal relationship. They have that personal loyalty to the brand now. So, they're always going to advocate for it. So, that's, that's interesting. I hadn't, hadn't thought about it that way, but that's, yeah, we're, uh, we're victims of, uh, of their subversive marketing campaign, I think, Christopher. We need to reevaluate this relationship. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been drawn in. We've been taken advantage of. We were, we were weak and they, they saw it <laughs> and they came and they got us. Um, <laughs> It's thoroughly brainwashed, but uh, even even after that, after all is said and done, just big gratitude to the good folks at Samwa Shurui in Oita. Can't wait to visit again. 
And when you're on your way into Japan, make sure that you try it because it shouldn't be that hard to find. And then tell your friends. It is the biggest export brand as well. So it's available in lots of places in the US and Europe and I'm sure other markets as well. So we'll put put pictures of, of their uh, export branding in the show notes so you can try to track it down for yourself. This is a good one, Christopher. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Thank you. It was fun. Absolutely. And thank you all very much for listening. We've had a lot of fun over this first five dozen plus episodes, and it's all thanks to you. If you have not done so already, sorry, big ask from us. We're pleading. Please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you enjoy listening to it. It helps to bring other people into the fold. And our goal is to spread the word as far and wide as possible. And please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram and now Spoutable. Wait, what? It's a new one. Okay, cool. Enjoy that. <laughs> um, I'm sticking with uh, <laughs> Instagram and Twitter. I'm Japan Distilled on both. I am rarely on Facebook, so if you want a timely reply, I would say a direct message through Twitter or Instagram is going to be your best bet. And please take some time when you're interested in an episode, go and visit the website japandistilled.com for the show notes. Uh, I do write them all. There's no AI involved. Uh, and I try to post photos of the brands that we talk about. And please tune into our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday, almost every Tuesday evening, 9 p.m. Eastern in the U.S., 10 p.m. Wednesday in Japan. And of course, don't forget to sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Japan Distilled. Kanpai! Kanpai Ichiko! We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time's up,